I suppose that if, if we were to have a conversation, one that would perhaps quickly devolve into an argument about the, the greatest sports movie ever made, there would be room for diversity of opinion. I mean, sport by sport. If, if you wanted to talk about the greatest boxing movie ever made, there have been some very, very good ones. And we could have that conversation, one supposes. Certainly there have been a number of very good basketball movies. And we could have a conversation about the greatest basketball movie ever made. And certainly baseball movies have been fertile ground. Baseball has been a terrific source for a lot of quite good movies. But if we're going to talk about football movies, I mean, I respect you a lot, but it's not an argument. There is no doubt that the greatest football movie ever made is Remember the Titans. Now, if you disagree, you're just telling me you don't know football movies, and that's all right. And this is one of my favorite scenes from that movie. I'm gonna help you both. I'm Gary Bertier, the only All-American you've got on this team. You want any of us to play for you? You reserve half the open positions for Hammond players. Half the offense, half the special teams. We don't need any of your people on defense. We're already set. Uh-huh. Don't need none of my people. Mm-hmm. What you say your name was uh, Jerry? Gary. No, you must have said Jerry like Lewis, which would make you Dean Martin, right? Ladies and gentlemen, got an announcement to make. We got Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin going to camp with us here this year. Jerry tells the jokes, Dean sings the songs, and gets the girl. Let's give him a round of applause. Which folks? Gary. Parents, are they here? Where are they? That's my mother. That's your mama? Mm-hmm. Very nice, I want Take a good look at her. Because once you get on that bus, you ain't got no mama no more. You got your brothers on the team, and you got your daddy. Now, you know who your daddy is, don't you? Gary, if you want to play on this football team, you answer me when I ask you, who is your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? Who's your daddy? You. Uh-huh. And whose team is this? Is this your team, or is this your daddy's team? Yours. Mm-hmm. Get on the bus. Put your jacket on first. And get on the bus. Uh, Dean? Fix that tie, son. <laughs> you know, it's an important question. I won't often allow Denzel Washington to choose my sermon titles. But I, as I, as I reviewed the paragraph of John's 
gospel we shall be examining together this morning. The question is a very good one. Who's your daddy? Because, and I've given you this as a big idea at the top of your sermon notes, you have a spiritual father. You have a spiritual father. And there will be a family resemblance between you and your spiritual father. In the paragraph we looked at together last week, Jesus has just raised this issue of of relationship to the family and he has said that the the servants in the family, the slaves in the family may bear a, a transitory resemblance. But the sons, the children in the family are there, there forever. And so he's raised this issue of sonship. And in John 8, 37, where we'll begin this morning, John chapter 8, verse 37, Jesus is speaking and the conversation with these Jewish leaders that he's, that he's, been, involved, he's been involved in this dialogue for several paragraphs now. The dialogue continues as Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. God. All right, they make two big paternity claims in this passage, these these Jewish leaders. They first claim to be spiritually descended from Abraham. Second, they claim to be spiritually descended from, connected to God. And so those two claims form the basis of our Roman numeral one and Roman numeral two as we look in the text. 
Roman numeral one, Jesus asserts, Abraham is not your father. Abraham is not your father. Um, verses 37 through 40. He admits in verse 37 that they are, they are biologically connected to Abraham. The, the nation of Israel biologically descends from Abraham through the patriarchs through, through the, the 12 tribes and down to the nation of Israel as Jesus was encountering it. There's no question you are biologically descended from Abraham. But uh, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus says, implying quite clearly that they are, they are not. And he gives a couple of reasons. First in letter A, there is no place for, in you for God's work. There's no place for you in God's, for, no place in you for God's word. My word finds no place in you. If you go back to examine the life of Abraham, you would start in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, then he is named Abram. But later his name will be changed to Abraham. But we encounter Abram for the first time in Genesis 12. And as the curtain goes up, on the, the multiple chapters, about the middle third of Genesis is given to the life of Abraham. You'll see, if you read and study the life of Abraham, he was a man with some deep flaws. He was a man who made some serious mistakes. I love that. I love that that is true of him, and I love the Bible tells the truth about him. We, we have to be very, very careful, you and I, when we examine these uh, these Bible heroes, that we remember a couple of things. First, the only impeccable hero in the entirety of the Bible is Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. It's also important to remember as we look at the lives of other uh, great men who lived and whose lives are recorded for us in Scripture we should not be shocked and surprised when we find that they are, well, flawed. Prone to bad decision making and sometimes goofy courses of action. I've been blessed down my years, and I'm not young, to have known some men and women who love Jesus with everything they've got and who from time to time might make a goofy decision or follow an odd course of action. Abraham is not regarded as a hero of the faith because he always got it right, but here's what Abraham did get right. When we first meet Abraham, one of the very first things we encounter is God shows up in his life with some epic-sized promises and some epic-sized expectations. Abram, I'm going to do some amazing things for you and I'm going to expect some amazing things from you. Now last week we talked about two characteristics of the gospel that are absolutely critical for us to remember. They're both absolutely grounded in scripture. The first is that a relationship with Jesus Christ, a saving relationship where we turn from our sin and trust him by faith, that saving relationship is always permanent. It is always permanent. The world may be full of former church members, but the world has no former Christians. Because at its, at its deepest root, we're not saved because of what we initiate. 
Finish this thought. We love him because he first loved us. And he does not let go of that upon which he takes hold. Salvation is always permanent. And it is always transformational. We talked about this last week. The gospel changes us. When when Abraham heard from God, Abraham's life changed. And he threw by faith everything he had on, look, Lord, I hear from you. My life is now going to be different than I thought it was. My priorities are different. The purposes of my life are different. There, there, was, there was much room made in the heart of Abram for what God expected of him. You, on the other hand, Jesus says, God's word has no place in you at all. So there's no family resemblance. And second, there's no pattern of godly works. Verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, and Jesus here saying you're not, but if you were, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You would be demonstrating by, by, your, by your godly conduct the reality of a real relationship. Instead, what you're trying to do, you're trying to kill me. You seek to kill me. That's not Abrahamic behavior. That is not transformed behavior. That is not the behavior that, that shows up in a life that has been transformed by the gospel, by what it is to know God. So you lack the requisite family resemblance to Abraham, which begs the question, who are the children of Abraham? Jesus here makes it clear these, these Jewish leaders, while biologically connected to Abraham, they're not the children of Abraham. Well, who, who, who are the children of Abraham? I've given you Galatians chapter three, verses seven and nine, as a scripture reference there in your outline, let me, uh, let me take us there. Galatians chapter three, verses seven through nine. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So those who have trusted Jesus Christ, turning from their sin in repentance, casting themselves on Jesus by faith, those are the actual descendants of Abraham. By the way, to chase a small rabbit, just a couple of steps. Um, some have taken this scripture, this Galatians 3 scripture and others like it, to say that there is, there is no future and no particular identity, no significance in the biological children of Abraham, the literal nation of Israel, but that the church has replaced Israel in the mind and heart of God in this church era. That ain't true. And so I'm going to give a few minutes tomorrow on our Beyond the Notes podcast when I record it to this notion of replacement theology. 
Might not be terribly interesting for some of you, might be very interesting for some of you to, to pay attention this week on the McGregor Podcast channel to be on the notes while I'll talk about what's wrong with replacement theology. But in terms of their identification with Abraham here, it's false because they don't love uh, the Savior. They don't have room for the Word of God. They don't have room for godly works, all right? Their second claim is that they're, they're children of God. Jesus here says, you know what? God is not your father either. Beginning in verse 41, he again asserts, you're doing the works your father did. And their response in verse 41 is a personal dig. They say, we, we are not born of sexual immorality. Hmm. By now, you can be certain they had, they had become real accustomed to, to dealing with Jesus argumentatively. By now, Jesus' reputation has expanded quite a bit. Jesus has come to be something of a, of a public figure and a complete and total thorn in their side. So you can bet they've dug around a bit. Tell us about this guy. Tell us who he is and where he comes from. And you can bet they have found no record of Jesus' human father. They have, whoever Jesus' father was, it's not in the record they can find. <laughs> now this is not meant to be a, a trick question. It is not meant to be a difficult question. I do need you to answer loud enough that the internet can hear you. Why could they find no record of Jesus' earthly daddy? Because he didn't have one. That's exactly right. Now, if they admit that Jesus is born of a virgin, if they admit that, if you, or you admit that about Jesus and the list of things you have to admit gets really big really fast. It's why the virgin birth has always been such a um, desirable target for those who hate the gospel. Because if you, can, if you can head Jesus off at the pass by downplaying or denying the virgin birth, then Jesus is just one more guy. And one more guy can ultimately be treated dismissively. <clears throat> but if you admit to the virgin birth, which by the way is reality, is a thing which must be admitted if you are going to believe truth, then you have the most supernaturally exceptional person to ever walk the earth who uniquely among the descendants of Adam and Eve is not biologically related by both parents to Adam and Eve, only through one parent. And through his paternal bloodline, his literal one, he is directly connected to God, his heavenly father. Well, they're not buying that. So because they can't refute his point, they attack his person. We weren't born in sexual immorality. You, by implication, were. Hmm. Hmm. 
which shows us that God is not their father, letter A on your outline, because there's no love for the son. There's no love for Jesus. And if there's no love for Jesus, there's no love for God. There's no love for the son. There's no listening to the savior. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. In short, A and B, those who are the children of God are those who, who love and relate to and submit to God through the one whom God has sent, whom God has ordained. The only way to know and love God is through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That has never been the popular position. In, in, in our nation, in our culture, the idea of God has always been quite acceptable. Goodness gracious, we, we, we print in God we trust on that which most Americans love most, money. God is perfectly fine. You can have all kinds of civil God discussions. But once you start defining him biblically, once you drive down to the ultimate truth that the only way to know him at all is to surrender to and follow after Jesus Christ, that he, Jesus Christ, is the sole price for our forgiveness by his blood on the cross. And by turning from our sin, by faith alone, through his grace alone, on the authority of the word of God alone, that is how we know and worship God and the rest is valueless. Suddenly you just lost Civics God. Civics God doesn't want any part of that. In most cases, you just lost sports God. Sports God doesn't want any part of the exclusivity of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Y'all aren't gonna love me for saying this, but you, you probably just lost most of country music God. Country music God is not a huge fan of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. We got all kind of little mini gods propped up in our culture and we can talk about God all day and get along while we do it until we talk about him as he is, as he has revealed himself. Jesus here says, your failure to connect with me is indicative you are not children of God, which begs the question, who are the children of God? Well, lots of places we could go. I've, I've suggested 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, just as a very succinct way. Remember, salvation is permanent and transformational. Salvation is, is so reliably transformational that if there is no sign of that, that change, no love of obedience to God's word, you can be certain salvation is missing. Here's how the word of God says it. 
First John chapter three, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. This is a diagnostic divider. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. If salvation is in all cases transformational, and it is, then that lack of transformed living, that lack of desire to know and do the will of God as he is, is a certain indicator of the absence of salvation. Nor is one who does not love his brother. Among those changes will be an authentic love for the people Jesus loves. Love Jesus, you love the people Jesus loves. Well, he has deflated their two paternity claims. Now he's going to clarify for them just where there is, in fact, a family resemblance. He's already said, you do what you've heard from your father, in verse 38. He's already said, you are doing the works your father did. In verse 41. Now, in verse 44, he makes it clear who their father is. You are of your father, the devil. The devil. I see family resemblance all day long between you and your daddy. First, I see it in that you desire what he desires. Your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus has already said, my will is to do the will of my father who sent me. Here he says, your will is reflected or is a reflection of the will of your father. There's a family resemblance. You want what he wants. You're out to destroy me, so is he. What? What you want most is not what the living God wants most. Your desires are reflective of a different father. Second, you're doomed, you're tied up in death because he is deadly. Now, now here you see it because he says he was, he was a murderer from the beginning. Now remember, Jesus has already said twice in this paragraph. Verse 37, he says, you're trying to kill me. In verse 40, he says it again, you seek to kill me. And then he says, he, your father, was a murderer from the beginning. You resemble him in your deadly agenda. And it's setting you up for eternal condemnation. You're doomed because you resemble your, your, your death-dealing daddy who's been choreographing death since the Garden of Eden. You are deceived, let her see, because he is a deceiver. He invented lying. And you guys are so tied up, Jesus is saying, in falsehood, you can't see plain truth in front of you. He lies because he's speaking out of his own character. He's a liar, the father of lies, and because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Truth is not your native tongue. Lying is your native tongue. Hmm. Hmm. 
And then Jesus, Jesus makes a, a statement that seems for a moment to sort of stand out by itself when he says or asks, which one of you convicts me of sin? We, uh, we note that you're not, you're not submitting to my words. You're acting as though you know that I'm lying, Jesus says. You're acting as though you know that I'm lying. The problem is he's already done many of the signpost miracles, which miracles they cannot deny. He's already healed people right under their noses. And he has said things that only God could legitimately say. He's claimed his right role as the savior of the world within their hearing. And yet they're acting like they know he's lying. So hear what Jesus basically says to a room full of his worst enemies. Which one of y'all has anything on me? You want to act like you know I'm lying? Tell me the lie you've caught me in. Tell me about anything you could indict me for. Can you imagine saying that? I'm not going to say that to a room full of people who despise me most because most of the people who despise me most despise me with good reason. I've been around a long time and I've done a lot of dumb things. I'm not about to say to a room full of my worst enemies, so which one of y'all has anything on me? I'd be buried. By the way, I know about you that you would be too. We're, we're in this together, you and I. I'm not being overly self-deprecating, just painfully honest. But Jesus has no problem. You're gonna act like you know I'm lying. Tell me about the time you caught me lying. Tell me about the time I made a statement I couldn't back up. Tell me about the time I made a promise that didn't come to be. I'll wait. But he, uh, he says, you know what, you're deaf. You're absolutely deaf because Satan is filling your ears with so much noise you can't hear me. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you're not of God. There's just not a family resemblance. Brother Russell, what, what about this passage might we see as hopeful? What in here is, is hopeful for the child of God? Oh, this family resemblance thing. Do you love what Jesus loves? I mean, are the guiding desires of your life the ones that God the Holy Spirit installed in you when you came to Jesus? Is what you want most what he wants? Praise God for family resemblance. Do you see Jesus as life and specifically as your reason for living above all other things? Family resemblance. Do you love the truth of God's word? Do you long to be transformed along and along and again and again? Is your journey of following Jesus marked by the mile markers of obedience 
to principles that God the Holy Spirit who lives within you has shown you in God's word that is the lamp for your feet and the light for your path. That's family resemblance and you should be blessed by it. Now I suppose a believer could maybe live in such a way as to try to eradicate that resemblance. I have two sons. And if you, if you get to know Philip and Kyle well, you'll see a kindness toward people and a love and empathy for others and a, and a, and a character that very much is their resemblance to Gail. <laughs> but they both kind of look like me. They both definitely sound like me. And I guess they could get surgery and talk with a made-up accent to try to hide the family resemblance, but bottom line, they can scarce get away from it. Child of God, you can live and modify yourself in such a way that the family resemblance is obscured. I'd suggest you not do that. That you celebrate your family resemblance to Jesus and cultivate it. And if you're not a child of God, I would suggest, in fact, I would beg, turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ by faith. You say, well, I am extraordinarily religious. Whoo, the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish leaders here give you no place to hide. They were the most religious people of their day. They were the ones that were the best behaved. They were the ones that had the best reputation. They were killing it in terms of living out their religion. They just were not related to God. Have you ever turned from your sin, thrown your life by faith on the truth of God's word and the character of the Savior and said, Lord, I'm trusting you alone. If you don't come through for me, there is nothing else. I'm throwing it all on my belief in you. That is saving faith. And the first step toward getting there is to hate your sin and the outcomes it produces. Trust Jesus and bear the family resemblance of the children of God.